Before we jump in and uh, study our final uh, message on the afterlife, let's pray and let's come before the Lord and let's pray for grace and for cohesion this morning. And, uh, and you know, I want to encourage you as we quiet our hearts and close our eyes, just center in. The team this morning before young adults, we were praying for you. And we were praying that anything that we're carrying this morning, myself included, uh, that we would just cast it at the foot of the cross and that there would be this divine exchange of love, that there would be weakness exchanged for strength, that there would be anxiety exchanged for rest, that there would be discouragement exchanged for hope and edification Oh, so as we sit in the quiet, I want to encourage you, uh, just come before the Lord. Tell him what you need. Here we are, Lord. Speak. Your servants are listening. Lord, would you reorient us into your kingdom this morning? Would you forgive us this week and this past month for drifting and for allowing our hearts to grow subtly cold within us? Oh, Father, would you forgive us for the cooling of our souls? And we pray that this morning you would tenderize us once again. This morning, would you warm our hearts and fan that flame that maybe some of us have lost of intimacy with you, just loving you and having that childlike wonder and awe that says, oh, my Lord and King is with me. I'm his and he is mine. God, all we are is yours. We pray that as we study your scriptures this morning, we pray for your grace and your peace and your life to rule and reign in this place and in this space. And we ask that as we study your scriptures and as we discuss them together, would the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you? And would you do, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do this morning? Teach us and instruct us according to your word and your truth. And we pray all of things, these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the people of God said, amen, amen. Hey, if you're coming in, we have some empty tables right towards the middle. But, um, you know, this morning, we're, again, we're wrapping up this series on eternity that we've been in the last three weeks. This is our fourth week. And uh, we're going to be wrapping this series up a little bit differently. Okay, so uh, prepare for a curveball where we are, instead of having one big fatty discussion segment at the end, we are going to interweave this into uh, some of the points that we discussed together. So um, we're going to kick off with a question and then I'm going to just open up the scriptures to us after we discuss for about 10, 15 minutes and uh, use the scriptures as a guide and a help uh, to maybe guide our conversations. 
throughout the morning. So there's going to be a lot more discussion interwoven into it, which I think will be fun. I think it'll be a little more kinesthetically interactive because when it comes to ideas like heaven and hell and the afterlife, it can get a little bit up here, but I want to conclude this series by bringing it down to earth a little bit and talking more about how now shall we live. Uh, when we give attention to heaven and hell and the afterlife and the world to come, what do we do with that? What do we do with these ideas we've talked about? What do we do with the, the topic that is hell? What do we do with the topic that is heaven? What do we do with the topic that is the new heavens and the new earth that we talked about last week? And so uh, this morning, I want to kick us off with a question that uh, I want us to discuss for about 10 or 15 minutes, and then we'll dial it back and, uh, and talk together. But the question is this, as believers, does the way that we live matter? The question may be simple, but if it does matter, why or why not? You guys down for this flow this morning? You with me? Are we good? Okay, cool. I think it'll be fun. So go ahead. Let's, uh, let's talk about these at our tables. If you're sitting alone, um, go ahead and jump in at a table. I think I'm seeing everybody is accounted for, but want to make sure there's no individuals kind of going rogue this morning. So go ahead. As believers, does the way that we live matter? Why or why not? Uh, discuss, and then we'll go ahead and pick this up in about 10 minutes. Go. All right, people of God. <sighs> I would assume that the general consensus is that the way we live does matter to some extent. Now let's look at some scripture together. First John, again, using scripture as a guide for our discussion. First uh, John chapter 1, and this may have come up at, at some of y'all's tables, but First John 1, uh, starting in verse 5, this is the message We have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We see here... John makes it clear that uh, there is more than just mere mental assent to the gospel that facilitates uh, freedom and life and communion with the Father. There is an actual tangible substance of practicing the truth. Uh, when it comes to our salvation. And he continues this idea in uh, chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. We'll have that up on the screen as well. Here's what it says. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Wow, that's pretty black and white. Whoever says, yeah, I know him. We're tight. We hang out from time to time, me and God. But does not keep his commandments. He's a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so the big idea here that I want to suggest is that in one sense, the way that we live either justifies or disproves our reconciliation to the Father. 
Uh, Now, I think there's more to the way we live than just this, but in one dimension and one shape of our living today, uh, we see that, uh, you know, the way we live, it does either do justice and justify our relationship to the Father, or it disproves it altogether. Uh, it came up at our table, you know, some, some instances where some of our friends in the past have said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, I, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, and then their, their life is in shambles. It's just absolute rebellion and high-handedness towards God, and is that justifying the uh, acceptance of the gospel? in their life, John, uh, we see, would probably say not so much, but instead the way that we live acts as this incarnation of the gospel that we profess. Uh, It is the tangible uh, substantiation of that which we say we believe, that in him there is no darkness at all. And so therefore, when we as his people say we are yours, we live under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, then our lives Uh, should demonstrate some tangible substance of it. Uh, The great theologian Dallas Willard says it in kind of some different terms here. He, He says it this way. Our future, however far we look, is a natural extension of the faith by which we live. Think about that. And the life in which we now participate. I love this part. Eternity is now in flight and we with it. Like it or not. So in other words, eternity is already set in motion. We so often can have this dualism of separating the now and eternity in the afterlife. But instead, Dallas Willard, let's keep this up on the screen. He, he goes so far as to suggest that the afterlife and our eternal destiny is an extension of the life that we live today. And really, that holds up under the weight of Scripture at large. The way that we live does, in fact, matter. That it's the tangible substance of our confession. So another, uh, another question I want to kick back to us is then this. If the life that we live does, in fact, matter and does have some weight when it comes to our salvation and relationship with God, then uh, specific to this uh, context of the afterlife that we've been in, how should we live as we look ahead to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come? How specifically ought we to live when we look ahead to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come for us believers? You guys doing okay? You good? Are we enjoying this? Okay, good. Go ahead, kick it back to you guys, discuss, nuance, ideate. How exactly should we live as we look ahead to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come? We'll pick it up in a few minutes. All right. So, eternity is now in flight, and we with it. Uh, Therefore, how are we to live uh, in this life that is to come within this framework? Um, You know, I think we could answer this probably a hundred different ways, and we probably just did at all of our tables. Uh, There's probably a myriad of different answers, but, you know, when we look at uh, Scripture, especially 2 Peter in particular, we see some specifics of the way that we are encouraged to live in light of the life of the world to come. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through 13. 
Peter says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is this a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. We are on his timetable here, not ours. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. But then he says this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of, what's that word? Holiness. And what's that next word? Godliness, holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, he uh, creates a paradox here, destruction of the cosmos. And yet, according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, Mm -hmm. redemption. And so specifically in this context, cliffhanger, we'll pick this up next week, specifically in the context of the life of the world to come, Peter says that we are to live in two ways, holiness and godliness. That, wait a minute, the way that we live does matter, and here's how we live in holiness and godliness as we wait for this promise of the new heavens and the new earth. The way that we live matters. Uh, and, and, and we as the people of God, then, as we look ahead to this life of the world to come, the resurrection of the dead, living with this hope of the new creation, we are to live under this lordship of Jesus Christ, holiness and godliness, uh, completely set apart uh, in some ways from the way that the world lives, being what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, the city on a hill that cannot be hidden, uh, let your light so shine before, good, before people. My goodness, guys, I'm just stumbling today. That they may see your what? Good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We ought to display good works and holiness and godliness and be put on full display living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians also talks about this, looking ahead in the way that we should live. In Philippians chapter 3, When he says this, put in very specific and personal terms in his life. Uh, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes on to say, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Stop right there for a second. This is the same Paul who in Romans says that if we believe in our heart or if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be what? Saved. So speaking of conversion. So Paul 
holds intention very comfortably, might I add, uh, in, in his writings at large, that yes, there is conversion, and yes, there is something to be said of the moment that we confess our dependence on God and confess Jesus as Lord, and yet, Paul himself says, I have not already obtained salvation or this resurrection of the dead. This is kind of a process here, moment and process, and I haven't made it my own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if, any, uh, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This striving, this pressing towards what is ahead, reaching for it. Um, And so therefore, godliness, holiness, straining towards what is ahead, we are held to a higher standard of living by uh, by being the Lord's, by being God's, by looking ahead at the hope that is to come. And you know, I think that when we talk about this, Uh, very quickly, people can pull the, and this may have even come up at your tables, people can pull the, oh, that's moralism, bro. That's legalism. Let's not talk about works. Let's not talk about doing things. Let's just, I'm saved, right? Conversion. I'm being God. We're good. I can kind of live whatever I want. But in scripture, we see nowhere this idea that you're saved, so you can kind of just coast, Uh, You and God, you're good now, so you just live the way you want to live, and then uh, you're going to get to heaven one day, and then you and God can square all that away. But instead, we see the exact opposite tenor in Scripture. We see uh, these proclamations and these invitations and these even warnings at times. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as Philippians 2.12 says. Uh, Colossians 2.6 says, now that you've received the Lord Jesus Christ, continue to walk in him. Galatians 5.25 says that now that we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There is this constant call in the New Testament epistles and writings at large that, hey guys, let's walk with the Lord. Yes, there's conversion, and yes, there's much to be said for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit, but you cannot say that the way that we live does not matter, that we are to live lives of godliness and holiness, and all the more as we look ahead to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And I think it's significant, too, that there are close to a dozen warning passages in Scripture, in the New Testament specifically, uh, five of which occur in the book of Hebrews specifically, um, that speak of the repercussions and the consequences of willfully disobeying God. That are frightening repercussions, might I add. And you can do some digging on your own. But the New Testament at large is layered and laced with these charges and these warnings and these encouragements. The way that we live matters as the people of God. Let us live in godliness and holiness as we look ahead to what is to come. And this encouragement, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't think that this is over because we prayed a single prayer, but this is process as well as conversion. There is a life to be lived under the lordship of Jesus Christ that justifies our reconciliation to the Father. You guys with me? Let's kick to one more question, and that is this. Uh, With all of this being said then, why, 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 why does this way that we live matter? 
why are we talking about this in the first place? Why is this significant? Why must we live in godliness and holiness uh, and under the lordship of Jesus? Why does the way that we live matter, assuming that it does matter, which I think we've come to the conclusion that it does. So enjoy your discussion. We'll pick it up in about eight minutes, 10 minutes, something like that. All right, everybody, let's wrap this thing up. Why does the way that we live matter? And I don't mean to short circuit any good conversations that are happening. Feel free to uh, continue them after we dismiss. But, you know, I think we can tend to view the commands of God and the call to obedient living uh, in a tunnel visioned fashion where we, maybe we wouldn't put them into these words, But essentially, I think we can think that there's a God up there that just wants things done a certain way, and he's kind of type A, and so he says, we do this, and if we don't do it, then we'll get punished. Or this angry God who just is like bent on shaping the universe in the way that he desires because he's the big bad hoss in charge. But, uh, you know, to bring it 30,000 foot view as we prepare to wrap up here, um, I want to suggest that living is important. Uh, Holy living is important for a primary reason that really goes back to our very nature and the reason why we were created in the first place. And it's this, that holy living is a reclaiming of our original and intended vocation as the people of God. That the sin is not the way it ought to be. Uh, Poverty is not the way it ought to be. Sickness is not the way it ought to be. War is not the way it ought to be. But instead, God created us, Genesis 2 and Genesis 1, in the garden, where he, he fashioned us in his own image so that we could have a capacity to have relationship with him, but also he gave us dominion and authority to rule all creation, and he had it so that we would walk in purity and life and in obedience with him uh, to facilitate a reconciled relationship with him. So this, this call to holiness and to obedience, it's not this God who's trying to work things because he's angry and he's type A, but instead, sin is not the way things ought to be. And when we live holy, we are reclaiming that intended and original vocation that was lost with the fall, and that will be redeemed once again in the life of the world to come. And so, uh, in other words, when we live in obedience and holiness and godliness under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we are living in the embodiment of the new creation. We are living in incarnational new creation life of the world to come. That again, to go back to Dallas Willard, eternity is in flight. There is a life of the world to come, and we uh, get to participate in that through the way that we live, that as we live godly lives, we are the the tangible incarnational substance of new creation life and the restored vocation of the people of God. You guys with me? All right. Let's go ahead and pray together, and then we'll dismiss. Uh, Father, we are all yours. We ask that the way that we live would be pleasing to you. God, we ask that we would view this call and this encouragement uh, and this invitation to obedience and holiness as a reclaiming of what was lost. God, let us embody new creation living today. Let us be the people who walk uh, step by step with your Holy Spirit, living under the lordship of Jesus Christ and in reconciled relationship to the Father. 
God, if there's any crooked paths in us, any areas of sin, high-handed disobedience to you, Lord, woo us back to your heart. God, soften our hearts. Help us to forsake those sins, knowing that sin is not the way uh, it ought to be, but instead help us to live holy and pleasing to you as we look ahead to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen, amen.